Well, good morning. It is good to be with you, especially if you are visiting with us. We are so glad that you are here. As Joshua said earlier, my name is Jonathan Keenan, and I serve as the RUF campus minister at UCSB. And it is a privilege for me to open up the bread of life for us this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can keep it open to the passage that Joyce just read. Forgive me, I have a little bit of a head cold, so I might sound a little bit like a foghorn this morning. Um, And I might sniffle just a little bit, so don't be too grossed out. Uh, A friend of mine, I I recently heard him tell a story about one of his friends named Tom. Tom was a, uh, 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 in the army, um, he was a a special forces guy uh, in the Rangers, and he served in the 80s and the 90s. And um, when he got out from from the military, he actually became a Christian. And he was kind of contemplating after he became a Christian about whether or not he should go into full-time ministry. And so he ended up going to a, a kind of a big Christian conference. And at this conference, they had different booths set up um, of different ministries. And so Tom is kind of walking through this big convention hall. And uh, he comes across a particular booth, a Christian booth or a Christian ministry uh, for civil rights. And so he walks up to the booth and he's kind of just taken aback by a picture that is um, presented at this booth. And it was a picture of an African-American woman uh, bound in chains being held captive as a slave. And Tom, um, who was not known as a man to weep or to cry, especially not in public, just began to sob uncontrollably. Um, in the middle of this convention center, just transfixed with this picture of an African-American woman bound in chains. And he just began to weep. Began to mourn over just the evil that is present in this world. Began to mourn over his own sin. And he just began to weep. And and behind the booth sat an African-American woman who stood up, walked over to, to Tom... And, and she grabbed his head, and she just drove it into her chest. And he just began to weep harder and harder. And, he, and she just whispered into his ear, it ain't supposed to be this way. And he began to cry harder, and she embraced him all the more, and she said, honey... Jesus is going to make everything okay. And I know that every single one of us in here, we have felt that inside of us, this ain't supposed to be this way. When you turn on the news and yet again, there's just another mass shooting, it ain't supposed to be this way. When you get the phone call from your friend or from a family member with the devastating news, it ain't supposed to be this way. When grandmothers die because of dementia and haven't been themselves for over a decade, it's not supposed to be this way. 
when a husband and a father loses his battle with cancer and leaves behind a widow and his four kids, it's not supposed to be this way. And there's a temptation that when we are confronted with this type of grief and this type of sorrow, to either avoid the grief or to grieve without hope. We can avoid the grief, and as Christians, sadly, we're really good at this because we can just tack on spiritual platitudes in order to not enter into the sorrow and grief, which just simply conveys to the person who's going through it that we don't care, even though that may not be our intent. So we can avoid it because it's too painful. Or we can grieve without hope. We can grieve as people who do not anchor themselves to the person who says he will make it all right. And what John is showing us in this particular story about Lazarus, John gives us a picture of Jesus who doesn't avoid grief, nor does he the one who grieves without hope. Jesus doesn't avoid it, but he enters right into it. And he doesn't grieve without hope because Jesus knows it ain't supposed to be this way. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would neither avoid the grief that we are deeply feeling this morning and that we would be a people that would not grieve without hope, but that our hope would be anchored in the one who came to do something about it. So to that end, let's pray and ask Jesus to help us enter in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask that um, your tears would be our tears, that your comfort would be our comfort, that your love would be our love. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come near to the brokenhearted this morning and give us the assurance not only of your steadfast love, but the hope of the gospel. We can't manufacture those things on our own, and so we need your help. So would you send us your comforter, the Holy Spirit, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Would you do that for us, Jesus? We pray this in your name. Amen. Martha, Mary, Lazarus were dear dear friends of Jesus. They appear throughout John's gospel. So this is not some sort of episode in the life of Jesus where he is acquainted with strangers. These are actually dear friends of his. And we don't have time to look at everything in this narrative, but I I just want to highlight two things. I think John is showing us by giving us a picture of Jesus in the midst of of sorrow and sadness. And two things I want to consider this morning. The first is this, that Jesus walks into the sorrow. He walks right into the middle of the grief. And two, Jesus weeps with the sorrowful. 
Jesus walks into the sorrow, and secondly, Jesus weeps with the sorrowful. First, Jesus walks into the sorrow. Now, we didn't read this part, but the disciples, and I love the disciples, how they always try and dictate the life of Jesus, but they, they come to Jesus when he tells them that Lazarus, his good friend, is ill, and Lazarus dies, and Jesus says, hey, we need to go back to Judea, and the disciples say, Jesus, that's a bad idea. You remember the last time you were in Judea, the Jews tried to stone you. And so the disciples are saying it's too risky to go back to Judea. And Jesus doesn't let the threat of his own life prevent him from entering into the sorrow. And that is something that we need to see in the life of Jesus. He enters into the sorrow. And it's so great because when he enters into the sorrow, Jesus brings with him three things. Jesus brings into the midst of the sorrow truth, love, and wisdom. Jesus brings truth in the midst of his sorrow. Look again at verse 6. This is so perplexing. Jesus knew that Lazarus was ill. He knew that he was on the cusp of death. And yet, John tells us that he and his disciples waited two more days. Why would Jesus allow Martha and Mary to enter into the sorrow if he knew that he was going to prevent it? Why does Jesus wait two more days? And did you notice that both Martha and Mary respond to Jesus' arrival the same way? Jesus, if you would have been here, if you would have just been here, Lazarus, our brother, would not have died. And we would not be sorrowful. Jesus, why did you wait? And this morning, we don't have time to go into full detail about a, a biblical theology of, of suffering. But I would encourage those of you who are in our community groups to entertain those questions this week because this is really good stuff to think through. But when Jesus enters into the sorrow, he comes with truth, and that is this, that he is sovereign over all our pain, over all our sorrow, over all our tears. He's even sovereign over death itself. Jesus comes to Martha and to Mary and to display to his disciples that he is the resurrection and the life. That he, the one who's enthroned in the heaven, is sovereign over all of our tears and grief and sorrow and death itself. And this is hard for us to understand because of the conflicting desires that we all feel in the midst of sorrow. But Jesus is in, if, if Jesus is not in control of our pain, if he's not in control of our tears or our sorrow or death itself, then it's meaningless. And if it's meaningless, then our suffering in this world becomes unbearable. And Jesus knows that. That's why he comes with this truth to Martha and Mary. 
that I'm completely in control of everything that's happening around you. You need not fear. But it's not just enough that Jesus would remind Martha and Mary that he's sovereign. He comes with love. Did you notice in verse 5, John tells us that Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And that when Jesus stood over the tomb and he began to weep, the Jews even said, look how he loved him. And here's what I want you to understand and believe and trust this morning. That Jesus is not only sovereign over our tears and our sorrow and sadness, but that connected to his sovereign arm is always his loving hand. His sovereignty is never detached from his loving kindness. Tim Keller, a pastor in our denomination, wrote a wonderful book on suffering. And he he says this, he said, Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and that God is with you. And what John is giving us a picture of is Jesus, who is truly God and truly man, standing in the midst of our sorrow and grief, announcing that he is completely sovereign over it, but he has come near to the brokenhearted because he loves them. He's displaying for us that God is with us and that he's for us. Always attached to God's sovereign arm is his loving hand. Jesus walks into our sorrow with truth and with love, but also with great wisdom. Did you notice how he dealt differently with Martha and Mary? This is so fascinating to me. Jesus is the perfect counselor. Isn't that what the prophet Isaiah says? Wonderful counselor. Jesus is the perfect pastor because he deals differently with Martha and with Mary. Martha needed words of comfort. And did you notice they both said the same thing to Jesus? If you would have been here, a brother would not have died. And Jesus comes to Martha and he says, listen, your brother's going to rise again. Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Martha, do you believe me? You see, Martha needed words of comfort, words of assurance, words of hope. But Mary, who when Jesus arrives, she says the exact same thing. If you would have been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. And all Jesus can muster as he sees Mary weeping and his friends weeping, all he can muster is, take me to him. Take me to my friend. And he begins to weep because he knew that what Mary needed were his tears. Mary needed tears of comfort. She needed the tenderness of Jesus to draw near to her.
Jesus, with great wisdom, enters into our sorrow, and he will meet you wherever you are with words of comfort, with tears of grief, with the nearness of his love. See, Jesus walks right in to the sorrow. I heard a story about a man who was in New York City a couple of months after 9-11. And he was on the subway. And all of a sudden, it was at night, all of a sudden there was a citywide blackout. And everyone on the subway, of course, began to panic that it's happening again. There's another terrorist attack. So everyone is freaking out, and rightly so. And so they all begin to, to file out of the subway, and they get out into the streets, and it's utter darkness. And there's just this strange pandemonium that's, that's kind of hovering around the city in the citywide blackout. And this man says that there was a group of us that were trying to get to Brooklyn, so they all decided to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge. So there's a whole mass of people that are walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. And then it occurred to the man, this is the plan. To get everybody out and onto the bridge, and they're going to blow it up. I think he'd seen a few too many television shows, right? And he begins to kind of freak out. And he says there was just this eerie silence. Then all of a sudden he heard heels walking up behind him. And all of a sudden he heard a deep, soulful, beautiful voice begin to sing this old gospel spiritual, let me tell you about Jesus. I could probably give you a rendition with my cold, but I'll spare you. And before you know it, the guy said, I'm hearing this African-American woman sing this beautiful spiritual about, let me tell you about Jesus. And all of a sudden I realize I'm holding her hand, <laughs> this complete stranger's hand, and we're walking across the bridge into Brooklyn. And I knew at that moment everything was going to be okay. And what I want you to understand is that when Jesus walks into our sorrow, he walks in and he grabs us by the hand. And he whispers to us, everything's going to be okay. How do I know that? Because Jesus not only walks into our sorrow, but he weeps with the sorrowful. Secondly, we see that Jesus weeps with the sorrowful. What's so fascinating about this passage is that Jesus knew the purpose behind what he was doing. Jesus even knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead before he even got there. And so the question is this, why then does he still weep? If he knew that he was going to prevent a funeral... Why does Jesus still weep? Because of two things. 
Jesus weeps with the sorrowful because he's angry and because he's afraid. He weeps because he's angry. Look again at verse 33. John tells us that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit. And this, in my opinion, is gross negligence on the translators because this is not the emotion that Jesus is feeling. The Greek word there for deeply moved literally means to snort with rage. Jesus is mad. He is deeply angry, not at Martha or Mary, not at his disciples, not even at the Jews who will later on plot to kill him again. Jesus is raging because of the brokenness and cursedness of this world that we live in. He is angry at sin and death. He's raging mad that the world that he loves is so full of sorrow and grief and heartache and tears. He's not deeply moved. He's raging mad. I can remember when I was in seminary, part of our curriculum that we had to do as young seminarians is we had to do two kind of 24-hour stints or shifts in the hospital as a chaplain. Um, All of us dreaded it. Because you show up and they hand you this pager, an old school pager. And they take you to a room and they say, just sit in here. You can watch TV if you like, but when the pager goes off, there's the phone, call the number and show up. So you're sitting in this room and you're just staring at this pager, praying that it does not go off. Because you have no idea what you're going to walk into. And I remember my first 24-hour shift, that thing starts buzzing. I call the number, and the nurse says, hey, you need to go to the fifth floor. Go into the operating, um, you need to go to the fifth floor into the surgery waiting room. There's a family there that needs you. So I get in the elevator, and I walk up, have my little pocket Bible with me. And I walk in into this waiting room, and it's a large African-American family, probably 20, 25 people are just in this room, and, and I'm wearing a name badge that says chaplain. And so a young lady comes, and she sees that the chaplain's here, so she grabs my hand, and she walks me over to the grandmother who's sitting in the middle of the room, the matriarch of the family. And I kneel down to this, this sweet, dear lady, and I say, I'm here to pray with you. And she summons the room, and they all huddle around me. And I I just grabbed the lady's hand, and I began to pray. It was her son who was on the operating table. And I just prayed and read Scripture. And then I, I said, Amen. And you would have thought that Jesus was about to come back. And I just kind of sat back and I waited. 20 or so minutes went by and a doctor and a nurse walked in. And they walked over to the grandmother. And they said, I'm sorry to tell you, but your son didn't make it. And I wasn't prepared for what happened next. 
But the entire room became full of rage. People were screaming. The grandmother was crying out. There was a man who began to destroy a machine in the waiting room. And I thought to myself as a young seminarian, I was going, it's probably not an appropriate response. But you know what? The longer that I've been a pastor, I realize that their response to the death of their son, of their father, of their uncle, of their friend was more Christ-like than mine. Jesus is angry at the sin and death in this world. He's raging mad and he's about to do something about it, which is why he's afraid. Again, look at verse 33. It says that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Again, this is a very poor translation. The Greek word there literally means to stir with terror and fear. Why on earth would Jesus be stirring in his heart with fear and trembling? Because Jesus knows that in order for him to disrupt Lazarus' funeral, it's going to mean that he's going to have to enjoy his own. Jesus knows what it's going to take to reverse the curse. Jesus knows what it's going to take to defeat sin and death, which is why he's absolutely terrified. Because he knows that he's going to have to deal with the wrath of God against this sin-cursed world, and it terrifies him. Martin Luther said, no one feared death more than Jesus. Donald MacLeod, one of my favorite theologians, put it like this. He said, the wonder of the love of Christ for his people is that not for their sake he faced death without fear, but that for their sake he faced it terrified. Terrified by what he knew and terrified by what he did not know. He took damnation lovingly. Jesus weeps with the sorrowful to display for all the world to see. He weeps with the sorrowful to display how he's going to rescue this world and put it to right. Jesus knew that his tears alone would not be enough. He was going to have to die. We have a God so committed to dealing with our suffering and our sorrow and our tears and our sadness that he not only entered into our grief, he not only weeps with the sorrowful, but he was so committed to dealing with it that he faced it head on himself. Jesus walks into the sorrow and he weeps with the sorrowful. So what do we do with this? Recently, well, maybe not recently, but over the last couple of years, and it didn't happen all that often, but it happens enough to where it annoys me, I've kind of had this recurring nightmare. And I don't know if you've ever had a nightmare like this, but it's a nightmare um, where someone in my family dies, whether it's Morgan 
my wife or one of my boys. And it's horrible. I don't know if you've ever had a nightmare like that, but, um, but it's happened enough to where like it, it bothers me. But it's also happened enough to where I know that there's something strange that happens after I have the nightmare because I wake up. And there's immediate sense of relief. Because I can look over and I can see my wife. I can walk into the bedrooms and see my boys. There's an immediate sense of relief that it was just a nightmare. In verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And then he says, unbind him and let him go. And what John is giving us a picture of is the, he's giving us a, a picture of the foretaste of what is to come. A picture of all those who believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. A picture that one day, everything's going to feel like a nightmare. You're going to wake up and it's not going to be true. Because the hope for the Christian, the hope for anyone who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus, is that one day, someday, all the tears will be wiped away. Jesus is somehow going to incorporate all of our tears, all of our suffering, all of our sorrow. He's going to incorporate it into the resurrection because he is the resurrection and the life. That is what we as Christians bank on. And one day, someday, he who weeps will cause all tears to finally cease. And here's the thing. Some of you in here have deep wounds. Deep, deep wounds. And those wounds will not fully heal in this life. But there is a time coming where the deep wounds that you have faced in this world will be fully healed when Jesus comes to make all things new. And when he gathers up all of his people with all the saints and the heavenly host, we will finally be able to say, this is how it's supposed to be. Jesus is asking us to trust him, to believe him, to hope in him. Consider that then an invitation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you then give us the great comfort and the reality that you are coming to make all things new. Give us hearts to believe that you are the resurrection and the life. Hearts to believe that though we may die, we shall surely never die if we find our rest in you. Would you do that for us? We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.